Welcome back to the CityCast podcast. Today is our fifth episode of our climate change series, Resilient Cities, where students interview climate leaders both around the world and here in Hamilton about what the city and residents can do to create a more climate-resilient Hamilton. Today, we'll be speaking with Bianca Caramento from the Bay Area Climate Change Council. We'll let her introduce herself. My name is Bianca Caramento. I'm the manager of the Bay Area Climate Change Council, which overlooks and fights for climate change in the Hamilton and Burlington region. Yeah, nice to meet you. So could you tell us a little bit about what the Bay Area Climate Change Council does? Cool. So the Bay Area Climate Change Council is a collaborative effort. It's an environmental collective of 14 different organizations spanning Burlington and Hamilton. And these organizations are varied in what their focus is. So we have folks like the conservation authorities from both areas. We have Environment Hamilton. We have Burlington Green. We also have folks that aren't necessarily directly involved in the environment. We have folks like United Way Hamilton Halton, as an example, as part of our membership. So these 14 members run their own autonomous organizations, and they do their own thing and their own mission on a day-to-day basis. But they've come together for the Bay Area Climate Change Council with a shared purpose of figuring out how we can catalyze climate action in Hamilton and Burlington. We know in both cities have acknowledged that there is a climate change crisis and they've declared an emergency and they've set goals for themselves uh, when it comes to their emission target reductions. And the Bay Area Climate Change Council is here to figure out ways that we can catalyze that, that GHG reduction and ensure that we meet those goals in the two cities. Yeah, that that makes sense that Hamilton and Burlington would team up because we share a lot of conservation land between us. So Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention, there's this idea of, do you really need to rewrite the wheel every time, right? There, we have such, we have shared land, we have shared environment, we have shared businesses and economies in many ways. And so since we have so much in, in common and shared among us, we might as well make sure that as we're figuring out our approach, we can find and leverage uh those those shared aspects and and not have to rewrite the wheel over and over and over again when we know that some of the answers to climate change are pretty simple and could be widely applied. Mm-hmm. So is there an annual conference that you guys hold or what other initiatives uh, does the Bay Area Climate Change Council have? Yeah, so the Bay Area Climate Change Council uh, has done an analysis of what exactly the main source of emissions are in Hamilton and Burlington. And based on that analysis has decided that our three main priorities are going to be industrial emissions, transportation emissions, and building emissions, because those are the three largest sources of emissions in the two cities. And so if we're serious about trying to reach that 50%, that net zero um, goal for climate reduction, then we're going to need to tackle the big three or otherwise we're not not gonna get there. It's gonna be impossible for us to reach those goals. And so what we're doing an ongoing basis is figure out different initiatives that we can push for at both cities, at both the municipal, provincial, and even federal levels that can allow us to achieve those goals specifically in those three areas. So it's not to say that something like, let's say, emissions associated with waste, as an example, those matter. We should absolutely try and find different um, ways and, and approaches to dealing with those emissions. But as far as the Bay Area Climate Change Council is concerned, our main focus and our main efforts is on the big three because we know that if we don't manage those three, the rest really won't matter because we need to get these three down to be able to meet the goals that we need to ensure that we don't have 
climate change that we're all concerned about and the effects thereof. And so we have a number of, of different implementation teams, one implementation team to sort of focus on the different areas. So we have a transportation implementation team. We have a buildings implementation team. And what they look at is figuring, okay, so we know our emissions in this area. How are we going to try and strategically address some of those, those emissions? So the last thing that we want to do as the Bay Area Climate Change Council is copy and duplicate existing work, right? So there are a lot of great organizations in the environmental field that are doing a lot of great things. And so our job at the Bay Area Climate Change Council isn't necessarily to do similar things and, and duplicate that work. We respect the work that's being done by others, and we're looking to see you know, strategically what's missing. Where are the gaps and what do we need to be doing that maybe we're not right now that's going to help get those different sectors to be able to get the emissions that, that we're looking at. Yeah, my understanding is that emissions from industry is something like 70% or at least in... It's huge. It's huge. Uh, so in Hamilton, it's, it's just under 70%, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have this question, especially with industry, you, you have a really interesting dilemma that a lot of folks face uh, in the climate realm. When it comes to climate policy, it's difficult to figure out how do you address those industrial emissions without resulting in carbon leakage. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Hypothetically, we could reduce Hamilton's industrial emissions significantly and not do a single thing to impact climate action on a global scale. What I mean by that, let's say tomorrow, a major industrial emitter decides to leave Hamilton. And let's say they go to Wisconsin as an example. What ends up happening is the emissions continue to be pumped out into the global atmosphere. Hamilton's industrial emissions go down, but really you've made zero impact on climate change overall because climate change is a global problem and simply shifting the emissions origins somewhere else doesn't actually result in any real reduction. So when you're looking at policies that try and reduce industrial emissions, you need to think about how do we ensure that those industrial emissions are real and that it's not just a matter of carbon leakage where some folks have left Hamilton, making it seem like we've done something to emissions when really we haven't. And so a lot of times when we're looking at industrial policy, we're thinking of creating a balance between ensuring that industry feels supported to make the innovation and make the changes that are necessary to bring down their emissions while also recognizing that these people need to run a business. And that means that the policies that we put forward need to recognize that fact and account for the fact that that they are a business. And in order to ensure that we don't scare anybody off, but we do get those deep emission cuts that we're looking to see. So one of the areas that the Bay Area Climate Change Council is definitely looking at at the moment is figuring out how do we utilize and ensure that some of the announced funding from both the federal in particular, level of government can go towards helping make steel more efficient. The Canadian Association of Steel Producers actually put out an announcement earlier in 2020 saying that Canadian steel producers uh, by 2050 are going to be carbon neutral. That's that's the claim that they made and they made that promise. And so that's huge. That's fantastic. And now the question is, how do we support our steel makers here in Hamilton who contribute a lot to our GHGs? How do we support them to meet their existing goal? How do we ensure that they have the talent necessary? How do we ensure they have the supply chains necessary? How do we ensure that they have the technology necessary to get there? And so that's one of the areas that we're looking at for sure. I had a quick question about that. So it's kind of more of a public engagement question. So I assume 
Um, whereas, uh, like you were talking about, if they were to move um, to another country or another city, it wouldn't affect the global greenhouse gas emissions. But I assume that there's probably some benefits in terms of um, regional and local air quality. So how would you deal with people that maybe are more interested in that kind of short-term local gain and maybe aren't as concerned about the more global impact? Right. So uh, the one thing I would note is that uh, we're lucky to live in a place that that places high priority in ensuring that air quality is constantly measured, constantly regulated, and capped at safe levels. Right. So so it's not like we live in a place in which there aren't any regulations um, for steel generally. So. I would note the fact that that here in Hamilton we benefit from those regulations. So it's it's not perhaps as much of something to to be weary of as as maybe perhaps if if the firm and the steel plant was was existing elsewhere. Um, and so I think the the question is and as what the Bay Area Climate Change Council is, is particularly focused on, not because other areas don't matter, but certainly because this is our mission and our current focus is looking at that climate change impact in particular. And there are a number of examples where a climate change impact also has sort of pollutant and air quality impacts. So a perfect example of that is looking at the closure of coal across all of Ontario, right? Once once coal plants were shut down across Ontario, it was equivalent to taking millions of cars off the road each year. So that's that climate change impact. But at the same time, we've never had a smog day since in Ontario because of that air quality impact. And so comparing steel to, to coal is, I, I think, a leap that I wouldn't personally make. Um, but for us, we're looking at how do we keep our producers here in Hamilton while ensuring that they innovate and find those efficiencies and then make those GHG reductions. Yeah, that's... That's awesome. Never considered it that way. I've always, well, personally, I guess a bias I've always had is that steel is the enemy, that they are creating the most emissions, but it's never considered carbon leakage and it's it's important to collaborate instead of like pointing fingers. What are the initiatives, specific initiatives that you guys are doing in terms of uh, transportation or buildings? Totally. So uh, in the building sector, one of the things that we're doing is... Um, we're looking at how do we reduce um, the emissions that are associated with buildings. So usually when we're talking about buildings, the emissions there come from the use of natural gas. And natural gas is used um, for heating buildings, heating water. And so figuring out how exactly we can help existing homes and existing commercial buildings, as well as future homes and future commercial buildings to be as GHG friendly as possible. So based on the analysis that we've done, in order to be able to meet the targets that we have set for ourselves, which is very aggressive by 2050, we need to be able to retrofit, deep energy retrofit, not just like a quick, like, oh, you have an efficient furnace, great. We're talking real deep energy retrofits for about 98% of homes built before 2017. That's an enormous number of homes that require deep energy retrofits to be able to meet our emissions targets. And what that also means, though, because we know that demographics are changing in the Golden Horseshoe, we know that there are constantly more people coming in. So it's not enough to just make the existing homes better. We need to make sure that as growth happens, anything new that's being built is also made to be something that's not going to contribute to our overall GHGs. We need those low emission building standards for any houses and commercial spaces being built moving forward. So one of the things we're trying to do is pushing for um, 
improved building codes so that that way anything new being built is set at a standard that won't contribute to our GHG challenge. And then in addition to that, when it comes to homes that have already been built pre-2017, what we're looking to do is try and work with the two cities of Hamilton and Burlington to institute a home energy retrofit program that will help homeowners be able to retrofit their homes whether or not they necessarily have the existing cash and money on hand to do so. So one of the big, big issues that we run into with home energy retrofits is that it's expensive and not everyone can afford to do so. And so allowing people to have access to funds, whether you're low income or high income, will allow you to have not only a home that isn't necessarily contributing to climate change, but also far more efficient and probably has lower bills as a result of it. So we're trying to... um, not just address climate change when it comes to our building initiatives, but also try and address some of that energy poverty that we see um, in Hamilton and Burlington, where you see different folks paying a different percentage of their overall income towards energy costs. That can be ameliorated through something like a home energy retrofit. Is the grant program through the municipal governments or, or is it like a, a separate organization that's providing the funding? So right now with the city of Burlington, we're currently working, they have a pilot program that is currently underway that they're looking to design and we're helping them and consulting with them to figure out how best to design that program and that pilot in Burlington. In Hamilton, we're in the process of trying to get city staff to consider even doing a pilot in that regard. But what we hope to advocate for is a city run program for it. Yeah. So how do you get council on your side in Hamilton? Well, I think we were lucky to be able to work with with a council that has been really responsive to what the Bay Area Climate Change Council has been putting forward. So we've been lucky to be able to consult with them on a number of different issues. And generally, when the Bay Area Climate Change Council has brought things up, they have been responsive and they've listened. So I think one of the benefits of being funded by the two cities is that we have a really good working relationship with the city where we can uh, provide them with that consultation and engagement on a number of different files, whether or not it's necessarily explicitly climate related or otherwise. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we're currently working with the city of Hamilton in trying to figure out how best to provide the incentives that they currently offer as an economic development tool uh, to encourage measures that reflect the climate crisis. So we're looking at um areas of policy that might not directly be associated with climate change for the normal day-to-day, but we're bringing that climate change lens and and the city has been really responsive thus far. I'm looking forward to being able to continue to work with the city so that we can work on some of the specific initiatives that we have that suggest specific changes in both Hamilton and Burlington. So for example, we're going to be trying to reach out to both the cities to consider and reconsider in Burlington's case, how we use big data Um, how it's collected, how it's analyzed, and how it can be used to shift the modal split from more carbon-intensive forms of transportation, um, and how we can interpret data to ensure that our transportation systems reflect the needs of a diverse community. So uh, oftentimes, depending on how how you interpret the data that you collect, if you are collecting it at all to begin with, uh, it can result in sort of certain biases that we have being reflected in that analysis of the data that has real life implications on people's lives, right? So we're going to be coming forward with some guidelines for the two cities of how they might collect big data and utilize it to try and reach that climate goal when it comes to transportation and doing so in a way that reflects that diversity. Right. So for example, like people of color who bike are frequently 
underrepresented in public engagement and like measuring that the city does. Totally. Yeah. So the work that we're, we're trying to do, we're, we're gathering stakeholders right now. That's the, pro- the stage of the process that we're at. And we're trying to figure out like, okay, are seniors represented? Are persons of color represented? Are women represented? Because we know that different people have different transit needs. Um, I was reading a book not too recently about the way in which women differ in their transit usage from men and how the policies that we set up for our transit can have really big implications depending on your sex. Uh, And it opened my eyes up to the way in which certain things that wouldn't be considered because certain people aren't considered really has an impact on the policies that we put forward. So we want to try and make sure that if we are putting forward a big data policy, that we're trying to to do so and putting forward a suggestion uh, that is as inclusive as possible. Mm-hmm. How do women use transit differently? Okay, so I'll talk about this example. It was really interesting. So uh, the idea was um, they noted that women oftentimes, and, and this isn't necessarily like a hard and fast rule. This is on average, right? But on average, women tend to make more stops on public transit because what they'll do on their way home, on average, once again, they'll do things like, okay, I got to you know grab a couple of things at the grocery store. I got to pick up my kid. I got to do this. I got to do that. And so it's not a linear trip, whereas for the most part, men are taking much more linear trips. You go to stop one, stop two, you're done. And so the impact of getting off and on a bunch for women can result in transit costing more for you depending on the rules of the transit system. So let's say, for example, if you have a transit system that allows you a two-hour window where you can hop on and off as many times as you want and you don't have to buy a new fare, that means that women will pay the same amount as men do even if they hop off and on a bunch of times. Whereas if you have a system where you're not allowed those two hour transfers or whatever, however long transfers, and you have to keep buying a ticket every time you hop on and off, that's going to impact the cost of transit depending on your habits. And so it was impacting some women more than it was men. And all that needed to be done differently was just implementing that transfer rule. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm from Toronto and they recently, not recently, I loved Toronto three years ago, but Three years ago, they made that switch, and yes. I was elated because that meant I could go to Tim Hortons all the way. Important <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>. stop. <laughs> I think we are at time, but thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. It was very insightful, and we're hoping that we can keep in touch. Absolutely. Um, it was a pleasure to, to chat with you all. Before we end, do you just want to like leave some concluding remarks for our podcast listeners and what you hope the ideal future for Hamilton and Burlington looks like? And how they might be able to support you in your work. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of, you know, the, the future that, that we have the chance to realize, I think the low carbon transition should really be considered an opportunity. And it's it's a matter of whether or not we take that opportunity and we take the the option of relooking the systems that we currently have in place, optimizing them to make them better, learning from past mistakes and how we can innovate in ways that will help us address our emissions, where they're coming from. So the Bay Area climate change approach is very much targeted at our biggest sources of emissions, and we're trying to stay focused in a way that will allow us to tackle this problem. It's a big problem. It's a sometimes scary problem, but it's one that can be addressed if if we're smart about it and we're strategic about it. And should you be interested in trying to address it with us, uh, the Bay Area Climate Change Council is going to be revamping our website in the very near future come early 2021. And so on that website, you will find ways that you can connect with us and take action on climate change. 
Thanks for joining us today on CityCast. That was Bianca Caramento from the Bay Area Climate Change Council speaking about climate action in Hamilton. We'll see you soon with another episode.